We are in week nine in a series called The Story. And the story is a book that we're reading together that uses chronological selections from Genesis to Revelation to help us see the, the big story arc or, or God's big picture, as, we would, as, as we've been saying it. And so it's from, you know, from Garden of Eden all the way through to New Heaven, New Earth, to, to the end of Revelation, you could say. And if you're new to Hills Church and you want to join in on this, it's going to go for 31 weeks or a week nine, so it's not too late to jump in, in my opinion. Uh, the books are sold out here in Brisbane. However, you can, you can get a copy of the story on Amazon on, uh, through the Kindle edition. So that's one way that you can do it. You just have to search for the story, you know, NIV, because that's what it is. It's, it's just an NIV translation. And you'll, you, sh you should find it there pretty easily. But just a quick reminder, we actually pause this series now for two Sundays, for, for the next two weeks, okay? So Palm Sunday is next week, Easter Sunday is the week after. We won't be doing the story. So you actually get a break from reading, although you probably noticed this week it was kind of short, right? Did everybody notice that? I didn't hear many yeps. Does that mean that we're not reading the, the story? <laughs> it was shorter this week, so you don't have to read, and we'll be back with chapter 10 on the 24th, so the week after Easter, after Easter Sunday is when you want to get back into chapter 10. Everyone clear? Yeah. We're that good. <laughs> it's in your inserts, so it, you, you won't get confused if you have a look at that. All right. The really short, short version of what we've covered so far. God created everything, including us, in his image. Humans wanted to be like God, so we rebelled, and that's when sin entered the world. And sadly, that perfect relationship that humans had with God was broken because of that sin. But God's plan of redemption also began in that moment because he didn't want to leave it like that. He called out Abraham and Sarah to start a new nation that would bless all nations. That's the nation of Israel. After Israel was enslaved in Egypt, God called Moses and he rescued them rescued this, this whole nation from their captors and pointed them to the promised land where they would live out this beautiful vision he had for his people and his followers. And also that they would be the ones that would uh, reveal God to the world or, or point to God. They would be the people that would do that for him. Joshua then led them into their new land and their new life with God's people. After a generation or two, the Israelites descended into this cycle that we were reading about uh, last week. You know, they, they tended to they'd forget the covenant and the promises and they'd break it and, they'd, and God would eventually withdraw his blessing or his protection and then they would start all over again. He'd take them back every time. That was one of the key takeaways. You know, that's what God does because he loves us. He keeps taking us back over and over again. That was last week. This week, we're moving into the book of Ruth. Wasn't that a great read? That was a better response. Actually, it's not just Ruth's story, is it? You know, it's, it's really Ruth and Naomi's story, I think, more than uh, just Ruth by herself. So let me just read the first five verses because it sets the scene. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, so that helps you know when we're talking about here. This is the same timeline as kind of last week. There was a famine in the land. So a, a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his, his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from, the, from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she, she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, 
one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Marlon and Killian also died, and Naomi was left with her two, uh, without her two sons and her husband. So a really sad story. Now, the thing you need to know about the tribe or nation of, Mo- nation of uh, Moab is that they were actually from Lot's line. They were Lot's descendants. And you might remember Lot was the nephew of Abraham right back in chapter 2, who went with Abraham when he first moved into Canaan. Now, this story is somewhat disturbing, okay, how the Moabites actually came into being. And so it's a little bit PG-13 here, if there anyone... Okay, it should be okay. But sometime after Lot moved, moved on from uh, Abraham and Sarah, there was this moment with his two daughters. Does anyone know what I'm, the, the moment I'm about to talk about, right? And so they, his two daughters didn't have children. And in that culture, that was, um, it can be difficult, right? Because you want to have sons and daughters and stuff like that. And so they decided, they conspired to get their own father drunk. And they did. And so Lot got blind drunk, and both of these daughters slept with their father and got pregnant. And it's actually the older daughter's son where the Moabites come from. Okay, so that's where that line come, comes from. It's really, it's really fun preaching on these things, I've got to say. <laughs> now, the Moabites weren't exactly friends with Israel. Ever since Israel arrived back in Canaan, not only had there been conflict between the two, but the Moabites had been responsible for a lot of ungodly influence. I, I guess you know, that's kind of how the nation started, and it kept going that way. Anyway, back in Numbers 25, it says, it says this, While the Israelites were camped at Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with local Moabite women. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods, so the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of, of Moab. So, you know, they weren't just causing conflict with Israel. They were also the cause of, of a lot of compromise. So you kind of got to know this background a little bit. What I'm saying is they were a bad influence on Israel. That's a very short background. But as we read, Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, they end up there in, in, in Moab because of famine back in Canaan. The two boys marry Moabite women there, and tragically, all three men die for reasons we're not, we're not given, that aren't given to us. And we don't know over what time period that happened either. And so after a period of time, Naomi realizes that there's, no really, there's not really a good reason to remain there in Moab. And she makes the decision to head back to her ancestral home in Bethlehem. The thing is, it's important to realize that in this strongly patriarchal culture, you know, for women to be married was, was I mean, it, you might feel like it's important now, but it was very important. It was very important this time. It, it's different to how it is now. It was important for their well-being. There was much that women, sadly, were not permitted to do. Not saying that that was right. That's just how it was. And so having a husband that could provide and care, that was actually really important for them. Although God instituted laws to protect widows and the vulnerable, you know, people like Naomi and Ruth, you can't ignore that that's how it was at that time. But these three women, from what we read, really loved each other. There's no doubt that there was a strong bond, and and probably that bond was there because they were all suffering the same thing. They all suffered loss of husbands. 
Naomi told the two daughters-in-law, you should stay in Moab. Um, Orpah reluctantly agreed, but Ruth refused and showed complete loyalty to Naomi. And and this is what it says in, in Ruth 1 from verse 16. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. I mean, that was pretty determined, wasn't it? I just think of those words, actually, that, that Ruth said to Naomi. And I just find them to be quite powerful. And if you want to think about loyalty, you, you can't get any better than that quite frankly. You you could apply those words, I would hope, to how we feel about our walk with the Lord. Wouldn't that be going that that extra step? Anyway, from here, these two women, they make their way to Bethlehem and they start their new life. And if we take the time to think about this situation, it's, it's fair to say they, were, they weren't in a good way. Both would be suffering pain and hardship from the loss of husbands. Both seemed to be struggling to survive, quite frankly. It seems, when you read it, that they were very poor. So poor that Ruth took a risk of, to her own safety and went to the fields where they'd been re- recently doing some harvesting, and she picked up the leftovers that she could find on the ground. Like, imagine if that's how you had to survive. But leaving grain on the ground was actually Jewish law, by the way. God's heart was for those in need. And it actually comes out in his commands for his people. If you go back to Leviticus, it says, When you reap the harvest on your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. You know, sometimes when we think of the commands of God, we keep thinking so much around discipline and all that sort of stuff. It it was because he cares for us. It was because he had that beautiful vision for his followers. And part of it was making sure everyone was cared for. It was written into the law. It wasn't just charity. It's It's part of that beautiful vision. This was one, one way that Naomi and Ruth survived when they were back in Bethlehem, you know, from the gleanings, essentially, was their source of food. So hopefully you can appreciate this, this difficult life that these two had endured. We don't know how many years it was like this for them. We know that they were in Moab for about 10 years. I'm not sure about how many years uh, that they were back in this, when this story came to pass. But there is no doubt that this is a hard season for them both. I just want you to have that sense as we continue to move through today. Massive loss, uh, deep pain, real struggle in life. And, And there must have been a lot of uncertainty as well. And maybe you can appreciate some of that, of their pain, because you've experienced some of those things yourself. That's what I want you to kind of feel a little bit today as we read this story. Just to give a sense of how she felt, here's what Naomi said when she arrived back in Bethlehem, in, in, uh, again in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. She says, don't call me Naomi, she told the, her uh, relatives when she encountered them, when she first got back. 
Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. You know, obviously, when you, you hear those words, you, you kind of, I get a little bit defensive for God in a sense, because it sounds like she's blaming him. And, and, and I guess she was. But we shouldn't be so tempted to rush in and defend God. We don't have to worry because God defends himself, firstly. But you should hear, what I really want you to hear is what was going on in here, inside of Naomi. She was hurting. Her pain may have been directed perhaps in the wrong places, but it is pain. And that's an important point for us when we're personally helping each other or someone else who's going through pain and struggle. Because sometimes people... They can kind of lash out or they, sometimes they do direct anger at God or at others. I encourage you in those moments to not raise defenses. Instead, we go through that moment with them with compassion. And we try to understand why they would feel that way. Anyway, at this point, it seemed to her that God had abandoned her and that there is no hope. That's, when you read that, that's what, it looks like that for her, doesn't it? She can't see beyond her pain. And maybe you know what that's like. And what, that's one of the reasons why we could understand. You may not have directly accused God of something, but maybe you've kind of looked up sometimes and wondered, why, God, would this happen? You know, why would you allow it, perhaps? Am I right? If you've experienced loss, and most of us have, if you've experienced pain and suffering, and most of us have, we, we know hope can just go missing at times. So we understand where Naomi and Ruth are coming from. But here's the thing. This is not the end of their story. The loss and difficulty is not the end of their story. If you read chapter 9 this week, you know that there is, yes, there's a beautiful love story for Ruth to a faithful man of compassion and integrity named Boaz. He not only provides for their immediate needs, eventually Ruth and he marry, and it's kind of like this new hope is restored. Let's have a look at Ruth chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. Isn't that amazing? And It is a little bit confusing, that last paragraph, because they're talking like it's Naomi's son. In the NLT, it says Naomi cared, Naomi cared for him like he was her son. That's what's going on, in case you wondered. But I, I do wonder, though, what Naomi and Ruth thought later in life when they looked back and had a bit of perspective now. Over time, I bet they could see at that, with that perspective, God's hand at work. Even though their times, 
through their times of pain and loss. I bet they marveled at how God had actually provided for their need after all and sustained them. But what they didn't know and they couldn't see was that they were actually part of God's bigger plan all along, which is probably why the story of Ruth is in our Bibles to start with. Ruth was an outsider. She wasn't even an Israelite. And yet she would become the great-grandmother of King David. And we know David's line led all the way to Jesus. Part of his story. Naomi and Ruth wouldn't have known that at the time. But they were part of God's redemption plan for humanity. So here's some lessons for us today from this story. I've given you the summary, okay? Number one is this. All believers have a purpose in God's redemption story. It, it may not be clear to you at this point, especially if the going is tough or painful for you. You may not become the grandmother of a king, but you're part of God's kingdom. You're part of his church and you're part of his family. That means you're part of his story. There is a purpose he has for you. If you remain faithful, he has a way of making the circumstances in your life work out for that purpose. And if you don't believe me, Let's read one of the promises in Romans chapter 8. Verse 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Yes, I know it can be really hard to see this at times. It can be hard to feel this at times. That's why we sang Waymaker this morning, to remind us that he is working. But Ruth and Naomi a really good example. He had a purpose for them and they held on to God during that dark night of the soul. I know it seemed like Naomi didn't at one point, but they, they did remain faithful to him. And we today have the blessing of being able to see how God made the circumstances in their life work together for their good and his purpose. Those two actually go together. Just as Romans 8.28 says, the second lesson is we may not fully understand that purpose on this side of eternity, this is the question I've always had about Romans 8.28, right? Well, what about Naomi's husband? Did, he, did everything work together for his good? He passed away, right? But Romans 8.18 actually says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. That means when we are with him in eternity. That's what the context of that is, by the way, in case you're, you're wondering for that particular verse. In other words... For some, we may not be able to look back with hindsight and see God's hand at work in his plan until we're with God in heaven. But that doesn't mean he's not working in your life. You just need to trust that he is. Remember, Paul says he's making all things work together for our good according to his purposes. So we may not see it all. It may not be clear. It may never be clear. Naomi's husband passed away. But I bet you it was clear to him in eternity. He's good now, by the way. So we talk about all things being made together for our good. He's, he's good. He's with God. That's the joy of being a follower of God. We don't just think of times and events from an earthly perspective. We think of things from an eternal perspective. Or we should. Moses didn't get to enjoy the promised land. I always felt for him. <laughs> Because he worked so hard and then had to, it wasn't even his fault. He had to go do 40 laps, or oh, probably wasn't laps, but you know what I mean 40 years wandering around, 
But God made all things work together for their good according to his purposes. In other words, they got to be part of God's story. I think that's also the good. Just being part of it is the good. That's the blessing. You know, I was thinking of, uh, when I was writing this, I was thinking of Mary when she found out that she was pregnant with Jesus. And she, and she used to say, this is such a blessing to be able to do this for, for my God. You know, that's the blessing, being part of it. The third lesson is that God is for you. I'm just kind of sticking to Romans 8 to help us understand Ruth today, all right? Romans 8, 31 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, then who can ever be against us? You know, in other words, he, we're on his side. He's on our side. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us? Uh, whom God has chosen for his own. No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. God did it. You know, we're right with God because of God. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. That's pretty good. God's pleading for Nathan Bell and Shelley Bell. And Kate Southwood, and all of you here, put your name there if you need to, pleading for me. Jesus did all that for me and is now pleading for me at God's right hand. He is for you, is the point I'm trying to make. So we don't have to worry so much about Satan or the world being against us because the one that we really have to be concerned about is God. But because of Jesus in us, God is for you. So we don't have to be concerned. Right, the fourth lesson is the love of Christ is welded onto you. Now, you might think, well, that's a weird sounding point. I was trying to think of what is an attachment that is unbreakable. I was going to say rusted on. You know how that's a term? People say they're rusted on to a political party or whatever like that. But rust kind of degrades. And so as long as it's a really good weld, it's going to, it's going to last. The love of God is welded onto you. Here's what Romans 8 35, 37 says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? This is why this works so well for Ruth and Naomi, okay? Does it, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all those things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Is there an Amen. Your struggles are real, I know, because i got some too. But victory is ours because we have Jesus for eternity. And there is nothing in this world or outside of it that can take that from us. It's welded on. His love for you is guaranteed. Let's keep reading because this is so good. Romans chapter 8. We're up to verse 38. And I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of the best scriptures in the Bible. 
The only thing I can add to you today, church, is to receive that in faith. Receive it. Let it enter and be real in you today. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Receive this word in faith today. Receive it. God loves you.